Hello, everyone. I'm Trent Luce. Welcome to another edition of Rural Routes, the program where we gather every day at this time. Well, we do it Monday through Friday anyway. And what we do when we gather is continue to address the issues between rural and urban America. J.C. Cole joining us like he does every Wednesday. And apparently, J.C., I missed Frontier Days in Cheyenne, Wyoming. I'm in Cheyenne, Wyoming today. But they tell me I'm like a week late to see the rodeo. What do I do now? Hmm, <clears throat> that's a good question. Yeah, <laughs> you're supposed to have a good better, answer. <laughs> I would, I would get a better organizing system. <laughs> oh, okay. No, right. I'm, I'm actually headed to Basin, Basin, Wyoming, for the Bighorn County Fair. I was originally asked to speak at the Bighorn County Fair on 30 by 30. It's a Bighorn County Farm Bureau-sponsored event. And that evolved into I'm now moderating a discussion, which is supposed to include 30 by 30, and uh, has, I believe, four or five participants, including Harriet Hageman, who is running against Liz Cheney for somewhat of a prominent seat. Wow, that's good. Yeah, so it's fixing to be a great week. And then Saturday, I'm going to be in Springfield, Missouri, talking about all things pet puppies. Very nice. Yes. Yeah. So, what are you? Where are you traveling to this week? Your, backdrop, your backdrop looks the same every single week. Yes, you 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 have noticed. I have a bit of uh, consistency. <laughs> Other than normally you're wearing like a, a khaki or something shirt, today you're black. It's all man black. Right. Well, it's actually camo. Uh, oh, maybe. I can't see that part. Okay. Right, right. But um, yes, um, I am traveling probably all the way to like uh, tractor supply, eight miles away. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, um, you know, Trent, uh, my past uh, life, I was one of those business executives executive types uh, always in a suit and and uh you know a burberry trench coat and uh silk ties and i traded it all in to be the poster child for uh tractor supply <laughs> <laughs> my friend just can't understand it right um but yeah. you know what i did was i mean honestly i had great experience over there in eastern europe and all of a sudden i realized that the collapse of Eastern Europe, um, the dynamics of it, are similar to the United States. And uh, I realized probably the most important thing to do is farming. So I gave up a boring boring career of real estate investment in Eastern Europe to come back and deal with goats and chickens and, you know, and and, uh, try and design a farm that's reproducible. You know, um, the big issue is very simple. We have no food security in America. Mm -hmm. Food security doesn't just mean food production. It also means accessibility. And so for us on the East Coast, you know, the food's 2,000 miles away. All that has to happen is the supply chain breaks. Do you see any indications of that? No, none. None. None at all. Um, Well, there's one other component that you left out. Storage. Not only production infrastructure but storage i could have all the food in the world but if i can't store it what difference does it make 
that, that part's true. And now what happens is you start to go down that rabbit hole and you realize that we are incredibly vulnerable for our systems at, that they're working well, but they can break. And we saw this with the, uh, the COVID myth where they would be shutting down the processing plants that, you know, processed a huge amount of food. You know, it's, it was, um, it was the weakest link in the chain. And so what that really, you know, uh, amounts to is we have no food security in America. So how do we create it is the question. And the only answer that I found, I hope somebody else is working on this, but the only answer I found is that you have to have a certain amount of food, a certain percentage of food within a 30 mile radius uh, of uh, population centers being produced. Because if the system breaks, you can get on your bicycle and go get the food. And that was the big thing with the Soviet Union is when it collapsed, 300 million people. And so what are we? We're 330 uh, million people. Well, when the system collapsed, the vast majority of their food production was within 30 miles of the population centers. That was one. And the second part was that life was so terrible during the 70s and 80s for the Soviet people, that they all had their dachas. About 90% of the people had their dachas, which was about a 6,000 square foot piece of land that they were able to cultivate. And they've cultivated it for, you know, 20 or 30 years. So they had this mini farm. We would know it as a victory garden. So you had 90% of the people who knew how to grow food and had it in their control within about five to 10 miles away from where their, um, their apartments were, their housing was, right? And they could produce about 70% of their food needed for the year. So they had 20 years to get to this point. So when the system broke, they still had food. They never had to worry about starvation. What happens with us? If the system breaks, 98% of Americans don't have food production. And the food is, on average, 1,500 miles away. And 99% of them don't have any clue that that's potentially going to happen. Right. right. Uh, I have a question. In the Where I live, where I grew up, where I live, the center part of the nation, I'm going to say I can speak to from even Ohio all the way to the Rocky Mountains, Every town is eight miles apart. Whether they're still a functioning town or not, that, that may be subject to discussion, but every town is eight miles apart. And I don't think anybody ever stopped to ask the question, why are towns eight miles apart? Eight miles apart, because that's what you could, with a horse and buggy, get to town and get back in one day. And that's yeah. based, that's how the towns were settled. A lot of our history on why we do things has, has been lost. I know. You know, for instance, why are the why is the road width the you know as wide as it is? I don't know that. Well, it goes all the way back to Roman times, right? And if you look the the original roads that we had, you know, a couple thousand years ago, were based on the width of a chariot for mm -hmm. a two horse chariot. Right. So our entire transportation system is based on the width of two horses' rear ends. That's a great story and totally true. 
But I have to say, after spending a week with Andrew in the UK, I'm glad our roads in the in the Great Plains aren't like his in the UK. My goodness. Oh, well, well, that's another thing that people don't really comprehend. You know, where you know the uh, uh, Britain goes back a thousand years easily, right? Mm-hmm. And so the the road traffic. <laughs> of let's say 1700 where the roads were already in place right and uh um all of a sudden starts to get more traffic and they're very very difficult to expand because now you're getting into property ownership and and uh you know um uh, rock walls that were built 100 years ago and all kinds of stuff you know and that's one of the things that happened in Latvia that I experienced you go to Latvia there was 2.4 million people maybe one in 10 had an automobile, maybe. Okay, so Riga was about a million people. That was the capital city. And in like five years, something like, I don't know, 900,000 cars were registered. Well, how can the infrastructure keep up with that? Right. And it can't. No. Yeah, I was here. This is, and there's, I have, just hundreds of learning experiences, right? I was there when, when the, the top business magazine, what landed on the front page one day was the airport charges for parking. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're like, what? That was the top business story because they've never seen this during Soviet time. And actually there was never a need for it, but yeah. And so you had, um, you had, uh, um, instantly, I mean, within a, a few years, you had the entire infrastructure of, um, of transportation overloaded. It's roll route. We've overloaded our time. We'll be back with more. What was life like in the early days in Riga? More after this. That's in Lafayette, by the way. Let's talk about the wall of honor. The wallofhonor.org is a place you can go for the trifecta. That's what I call it. Put it in horse racing terms. You can go pay tribute and honor those that have sacrificed for our freedom. You can also suggest a loved one in your family to be honored and placed on the wall of honor. And you can also do what we need done. We need money. Everybody needs some funds. So if you would like to share a thought, a penny, or just a prayer, Go to thewallofhonor.org, thewallofhonor.org. See you there. Welcome back. Roll route, Trent Lewis alongside J.C. Cold. I say it right, Riga? Riga, yes. Riga. Yeah, um, beautiful you, city. You, you know, that would be interesting for you and I just to go back there for a moment because we, we addressed this well over a year and a half ago. What was the day-to-day life in Lafayette when you went there at the collapse of the Soviet Union? What was the first days like? Well, the first days were, you know, it's very hard to explain it to Americans because I'm trying to explain a book that you've never read before. And, um, you know, where... That's why you give a book report, JC. Oh, very good. I'll try to give the cliff notes. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it was challenging because first thing is I, I had no understanding of what was going on and neither did anybody else. Neither did the American government. Nobody had a game plan 
for when in one week, 300 million people and the Soviet Union changed to um, uh, 300 million people in 15 individual countries uh, without a currency and now kind of turning capitalist. Nobody had a game plan. We didn't know what to do. Right? And, and, uh, one of the reasons that I came back, but, well, one of the reasons I came back was I was clearly told that there was going to be a war between Russia and NATO and NATO's provoking it. Right? So I came back, uh, 2010 and said, get ready. We're going to have a war. Right? And then now, now I got laughed at. You know, that's ridiculous. How could that be? And now it's happening exactly how I was told. You didn't anticipate so, it being 12 years later, though. That that part's correct. I thought it would have been um, um, 2014. Mm-hmm. And maybe maybe there are some hope, but I wouldn't use hope as a strategy. Hope that this can be um, offset, you know, and, and as we see every day, we get new challenges. You know, it's like Nancy Pelosi goes to China. You go, well, boy, that's a that's a very interesting chess move. Um, not not China, Taiwan. Sorry, my mistake. So so anyway, you know, the the beginning part was quite challenging because I didn't know what to do. You know, where do you focus on? And I made a lot of interesting mistakes thinking, hey, this would be common sense, um, you know, uh, and invest in food or, you know, or clothing or stuff. Uh, before you talk about investing in clothing and food, it's very strategic for Nancy Pelosi to go to Taiwan and talk about helping chip manufacturers at a time her husband is under indictment for chip uh, stock market fraud. It's a distraction. It's very strategic. Well, it's, it, that could be one of the things, but I kind of like the bigger chess game where, <clears throat> okay, you have the, now this the the CCP has come out and said, you are not allowed there. We will shoot you down. Okay. So now she moved. The next chess move was that she went there. And so the CCP now has to have either back down and eat crow, which they are apparently not very good at doing, or start a war of which they'll be blamed for starting. It was an interesting chess move. Right. Um, and uh, of course, you know, we, we're just in, we're, the, the, uh, in no, nobody terms. playing chess tells you where you're going to move your, your night before you move your night. She, she let the world know she was going to go do this. You and I are the pawns in this chess game, which is what I'm really getting sick and tired of. But that part's correct. Right. But actually, I think that was a chess move where she says, I'm going to do this because Mm -hmm. then they get the the CCP just step into it and say, if you do, we'll shoot you down. Okay, so now they 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 they, this is chess. And my personal belief is it's we're we're watching things that are actually a fourth dimensional chess game, not only third, fourth. And you go, well, how is it? Because, you know, in our average life, we, we play checkers. You know, I mean, it's pretty simple, average life. We don't have to think out all this strategy that's happening. So this leads me to one of this other thing that's happening right now. <laughs> Why don't we just jump right in? Is um, We've got this prisoner exchange going on, right? You know, and with this uh, 
this uh, Olympic um, woman basketball star who's gay, right? And um, I, I think he, he possibly is an FBI agent or something, Paul uh, Wellen, right? And they're exchanging for Victor Boot. You know, uh, does everybody have an, any idea who Victor Boot is? I do not. They actually made a movie of him starring Nicolas Cage. He was titled The Merchant of Death. He was nicknamed the Lord of War. He was, you know, he spoke six languages and he was one of the top arms dealers in the world. Right? And we're trading, we're, we're trading a basketball star who smuggled in some uh, marijuana oil for, for the, for the merchant of death. Come on, this doesn't make sense. No. No, no. None whatsoever. Now, rumors, now we have to look at rumors. It doesn't mean we believe them. Rumors are that he knew really how 9-11 was taken down, okay, because he was in that, that, uh, that industry. Right? Well, I mean, speaking of merchant of death, there was a lot of death. There was a lot of death. And, and rumors, I can't say that uh, it will ever be known, is that he supplied the missile that hit the Pentagon. Mm. All right. These are just the rumors, um, I think, out of veterans today. But so this is this is one, you know, so it looks like we're trading two pawns for a knight. And that doesn't make sense. And and now, while most of us believe that the present administration um, are running on an IQ of about 70, the guys behind the scenes wouldn't do that. Right really control. So what's going on? And my guess is a couple of months ago, if you remember, there was rumors again that a U.S. general, Cotier, was captured in Marupo leading the Azov Nazis, along with some other NATO um, NATO uh, uh, military um, brass. Right now, notice that you don't even hear about this anymore. Right, and that how how is the United States going to explain what a two-star general was doing in in Ukraine without the uh, Congress voting on it and leading the, the Ukrainian Nazis? I'm guessing there is no. Ex- oh no, he's undercover. You know, gathering data. Yes, undercover, gathering data right where the Russians and, and the Ukrainians were in their fiercest battle, right? Well, where, where they happen to have underground military biolabs. Yeah, just, just happened. So my guess is that's what the trade is. Anyway, you know, and this is, this is just showing we are in an uncharted waters. You know, this, this is how crazy this is um, on, on what's going on. And you know, we really need for us to individually wake up and say, how do I best prepare? You know, and, and uh, of course, we haven't seen hardship in our country since basically 1929 and then the Dust Bowl. But this is coming. You know, we have people talk about hardship. They have no clue what hardship is. That, that part's true. I mean, there's, yeah. they, they still 
put gas in like never before. We just continue to go about our day-to-day life and talk about how bad it is. And we have no idea what bad really is. That, that's true. That's true. It's like, uh, you know, it's, it's a trauma because they ran out of low-fat ma- macchiatos at uh, Starbucks. Mm-hmm. And, and we're going, you look what's coming. Yeah. Hey, I, on the I, good side, at the Cheyenne Guest House in Cheyenne, Wyoming, rare occurrence, they have whole milk at the front desk or at the breakfast area. That's hard to find. So, hey, let's celebrate those small victories when we can. And we're halfway through. We'll be back with more Roll Route J.C. Cole with bigger issues than whole milk or skinny fat lattes, whatever you want to call them, when we continue the second half after this. When I have, over the years, shared the information because people want to be critical of nitrates, people want to be critical of estrogen, I'll tell people that you, you're worried about your bacon, or your ham because it's cured and it might have nitrates, but you flock to eating leafy greens because leafy greens are the highest level of nitrate possible. And you know what the first question that person always asks me? How do they get them in there? How do they get them in there, Nathan? Well, they're, they're cured, right? They're cured vegetables. And vegetables actually cure many diseases. So just like your bacon's cured. You know, I wrote a paper called uh, Nitrite, the Cure for Chronic Disease. So just like nitrite, nitrate cure meat and prevent, you know, lipid oxidation and prevent, you know, food spoilage and bacterial infections or bacterial overgrowth in the food, they do the same thing to us. They cure a lot of things because they improve nitric oxide, they improve oxygenation, they prevent oxidation, inflammation, and immune dysfunction. You want to live a cured life? Take a nitric oxide supplementation every day like I do. No2u.com. It's no2u.com. Put trend as your coupon code and you win big favors because you get free shipping and a 10% discount. Welcome back. Roll route. Trent Loose alongside JC Cole. The power of the mind. During that break, I had time to go get some of that whole milk at the front desk, JC. Oh, that's wonderful. Do you drink whole milk? Yeah, you know, um, you know, when I went over to Latvia, um, they had whole milk, fresh milk, you know, and it was unpasteurized, but they had certified all the cows to make sure that they were healthy, right? And, and you know, we're sitting here, um, <laughs> what was it? It was a couple of years ago where a SWAT team raided, uh, raided a farm market in uh, Los Angeles, guns drawn, because they were selling whole milk. That just happened two weeks ago in Pennsylvania. Oh, I must have missed it. Yeah. I I mean, Amish farmer? Yeah, an Amish guy who they've got, they're they're trying to hang him up for selling, you know, and and people just go along with this. Even in, it's not a Pennsylvania issue. It's not an East Coast, West Coast issue. The state of Kansas continues to have fights. Every state almost has a rule about selling whole milk or raw milk. If I want to sell milk to my neighbor that's not pasteurized, it's my right to do that. Who's the government to tell me that I can't do? They can't interfere with commerce between two willing participants. This is this is part of the control model. So, so you know, Trent. Another thing happened uh, in the last week or two. The government, the city government of New York City, came out and and and. Uh, did a very strange commercial, like what to do if we had an atomic uh, attack. And, and they basically said, 
you know, take a shower and go and down into your basement and wait for further notice. <laughs> it's like, what? Who's going to who's going to provide further further notice? Right. That's one. And then and, later and on, why shower first, by the way? Well, no, that's after the attack. The shower <laughs> off the, the debris, right? Like the water's going to be working after a new year. Yeah, exactly. Right? And then a week later, they come out, and the mayor rep- recommends that New Yorkers have a a bug out bag, a bug out bag. <laughs> it's like, and and the, now we see the U.S. Um, government. I'm not sure which branch has just done. Um, um, uh, a test, not, uh, not, not a test, but a, um, what do you call it? Um, um, when they're, they're practicing, practicing if missile strikes hit, hit Philadelphia, New York, or Chicago, right? And then two days later, there's a picture that, uh, China is, um, maneuvering their nuclear arsenal, right? While, you know, the wicked witch of the West, decides to stop in and say hi to Taiwan, right? You know, it's like you're watching this whole thing. So I'm in communication somewhat with a very successful New Yorker. And I can't get him to understand, right, that New York is the target for any of our enemies, either domestic or, or foreign, because if you take out Manhattan or you not, not nuclear, if you just turn off, Manhattan, our entire financial system stops. How can you not understand that? I, I, well, I think they're New Yorkers. They must have done too much drugs when they're young. You know, it's like, or either that or they're under some form of, you know, demonic curse that they're indestructible. And, you know, it's like, it, it's just amazing. So these people are richer than God, right? Actually, God didn't need money. But you know, and and you go look. Have a black swan insurance policy. Have a, this creates local food security. If we don't create food security in this country, and this is for all Americans, if we don't do this, we won't have a country. We're just waiting till the collapse of the supply chain, and then it's going to get really vicious because the farmers are aware. And they're and, and you know and, and they're armed to the teeth. And then you're going to get these these libtard New Yorkers coming out to my farm to get food. Well, I don't think they got that much ambition, to be honest with you. Well, now nah, don't underestimate New Yorkers when they're hungry. <laughs> That's mm. where you know. But but think about that. They they can't find you, JC, because we've we've created this dependence upon your phone telling you where to turn. They couldn't look at a map and find your farm if they were given one. That's true. That's true. But still, you know, uh, I don't want to have to defend my farm. Yeah, I agree. And and so so trying to get these people to wake up, if you do not invest in food security for your own, your own region, you don't have it. Right. And, you know, you think about that. Eight million people live on uh, in New York City, that uh, which is an island. And then mm-hmm. you have another seven million live on Long Island. There's only like five exits off of there. Right. What happens if it breaks? The United States government has shown us this. What happened in uh, New Orleans when uh, Katrina came through? They locked down the exits. They locked everybody in. You know, this, this is history. Anyway, I just thought of something that I had never considered 
until you you walk me through this timeline. You know about Plum Island, right? I do. So Plum Island, for those that may not know, has been our USDA research arm investigating or researching hoof and mouth disease, the worst of animal diseases, and some that may be zoonotic. It's been the place where we harbor all of these things. And years ago, I don't know when I got in that fight, but maybe 2010, there was a movement to move Plum Island to Manhattan, uh, Kansas. Apparently, it has to be tied to a Manhattan, I guess. Manhattan, Kansas. There's a tremendous amount of discussion about it now after we fought it 10 years ago and lost because we're like, why would you bring this research facility with all of these virulent diseases in the middle of the livestock population. It is on an island right now. It's very secure. And we're in the process of making that move very soon right now. I mean, the building is, I don't know what stage it is and being complete, but now you've got me suspicious of the whole timing of this aspect that they're getting this out of Plum Island and the New York big apple area, moving it to the little apple area, almost like as if they knew they needed to have that thing out of there by now. I would say that is accurate because let's say where Plum Island is. Plum Island is in the Long Island Sound just across from right off of um, uh, Connecticut. um, Staten Island? No, what's the tick disease? Oh, Lyme's disease. Lyme's disease. Right off of Lyme. New York, spelled the same way. The rumor is that the tick escaped escaped from Plum Island and went to the city. That's the center of Lyme's disease for our country. All right. So anyway, what happens if we get a tidal wave hitting Plum Island? Mm -hmm. Okay, so let's let's back up a little bit and and, and see what's, what's happening. That... There's a very large amount of what's known as predictive programming showing that that Manhattan gets hit with a tidal wave. All right now, where this came from, not really sure, but we do know that if the Canary Islands, um, um, uh, trying to think of the name of it, uh, La Palma, actually exploded, we would have a, a, a tidal wave hit the entire East Coast. Right, that would take out all the major cities and Palm Island. Well, that's one. And then the second one is the Russians have now clearly told us they have a a superior, unstoppable torpedo called Poseidon, the the god of sea, right, that can create a tidal wave taking out taking out um, coastal cities. So what are what are numbnuts doing? They're provoking Putin. And he's actually put the, the torpedo into into service. It is now in the North Atlantic. So, nice. so it, yeah, right. It's it's one mistake. Actually, I think it was the head of the UN came out and said, you know, just just one mistake, and we have nuclear, you know, nuclear arm again. Right? And 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 the Russians will do what they have to do to protect themselves. Right? So, so we have the mechanisms in place for this to an accident to happen, and actually a, a, a tidal wave to, you know, take it uh, take out New York, and 
you know, you tell New Yorkers that and they're going like, get out of my way. I got to get to my next meeting. What's wrong with you? You know, it's like. <laughs> He's not just like one. <laughs> Oh, and by, and by the way, my York. office is on the 15th floor. It's not like it's going to bother me anyway. Yeah, yeah. Vinny, Vinny, what's wrong with you? You know, it's like, oh, I, I just, I just, you know, no, this could never happen. What part of history have you not read? Oh, that's it. You haven't read any of it. Look what the Nazis did. Just look what the Nazis oh, oh, here's another one. This week, the governor of New York tried to pass a law that gave the, the uh, authorities the, the right to arrest anybody and put you in um, a, um, uh, a confinement without proving that you had any disease, right? Fortunately, it was shot down. But, but that, now you're seeing that part of this group is trying to create the Nazi system, mm-hmm. but, but clandestinely. Was it this uh, Governor Kathy? the Hochul, right, that uh, she could arrest anybody without any proof of illness and put you away. Well, isn't that a great way to get rid of your competition? Um, In an almost related note, you and I talked about this, but I had a couple people, a couple friends of mine bring to my attention this week, like they discovered it, but you and I talked about it maybe three weeks ago. The governor of California is forcing all well owners who have their own water well to put a meter on their water and pay for their own water. Great. Now, so so let's just take a step back and look at this. You have one trying to take the water. You have a drought happening, even though we have the ability to create rain. You have another governor trying to put in uh, the concentration camps. You have FEMA with over 100, I mean, 1,000 concentration camps. But FEMA's job is not to protect the, uh, the, the citizens. Mm-hmm. FEMA's job is continuity of government. So what are they doing with a 1,000 FEMA camps? Right? You know, you just look at this one side. For the now- lepers. That's a place to put the lepers. We have a leper problem. We'll be back with the last segment. Roll route, J.C. Cole. They're going fast today. More after this. And now let's talk about branded beef programs, in particular the certified Piedmontese system. Get details about how you as a cattleman can get paid properly for the quality of beef that is produced. I'm talking about the tender beef thanks to the Piedmontese sire. You know, I had a great conversation yesterday with somebody that uh, just is in tune with where this beef and food business is going. Known genetics is the future. You can say all you want about random commodity businesses, but if you don't know exactly what you're getting and producing, you're probably not going to be a part of the future of the food business. I'm just telling you. It's that harsh. So here's one opportunity. It's just one of the many. Certified Piedmontese, LoneCreekKettleCoat.com. Welcome back. Roll route. Trent Lewis alongside J.C. Cole. Uh, I interrupted you because we had to go to a break about the leper camps. But right. I, I do want to just spend a moment in a rabbit hole on water, if you allow me, because I believe it's tied into the bigger picture of what we're talking about here. It's clear that the the controllers have known how to control the East Coast, West Coast. You know, we've talked about this before. You draw a circle from Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, in 300 miles, 33% of the United States population calls it home. So obviously you've got a tremendous amount of concentration of population in one area that are vulnerable. 
The controllers have often wondered, what do we do between Illinois and the Rockies? These people are just, they're independent. They don't rely on government for anything. Well, now I see one way that they created independence that we and the farming community just walked right into. The very first time I went to South Dakota, South Dakota was a great sunflower state. They always raised some corn, great hay state. Um, alfalfa, hay, and, and different crops that were produced there. And now it's sixfold bigger in soybean production. Oat product, they were go to good in oats. South Dakota was good in oats. It just grow, it virtually doesn't grow any oats anymore. Corn production has increased by 30%. All of these crops that are very dependent upon water. And I know I'm fully aware that it was genetics that played a role in increasing the ability to produce corn and soybeans in South Dakota. But now let's come a little farther south in the over the Ogallala Aquifer. They used equip funds, environmental protection funds, to incentivize farmers to put center pivots to use more water to produce food in the name of what we've been talking about here today that hasn't happened, food security. We want farmers to grow more food. So now what is the government doing? Telling us we're using too much water after they provided an incentive to grow more water-dependent crops. Oh, and then we're going to subsidize the crop insurance so that when that crop fails, you get paid. So it's a safety net. So farmers just Line up and go down this path using what has been created, a completely dependent system upon crop insurance and the water that the government incentivized us to use. And just to add to it, right, that 87% of Americans are on municipal water supply. That's control of the government. If the electricity goes out, the water goes out. They've got the other the, the other percentage of people, you know, um, uh, wrapped up tight. You know, I'm proud to say I'm in the 13%, by the way. Yes, I wanted to to, to, to look at some numbers, <clears throat> okay? And and again, I bring up that Plato quote, um, no one is more hated than he who speaks the truth. Well, numbers and physics don't lie. They can be distorted, but they don't lie. Okay, so let's look at the Georgia Guidestones, which are now um, uh, d- destroyed said they wanted a 90% decrease in population. That, that means 7 billion people need to go. It, the Deagle Report, which was funded basically by the Rockefeller Foundation, right, says 220 million Americans die by 2025. That's 70% in three years away. Okay, you know, that's, how could they predict the future? Well, I hate to tell you, but they have ways to look at parts of the future in certain timelines already. They do, right? Plum and, Island, that's what we're talking about Plum Island for. Right, and, okay. An estimated 50% of Americans have taken at least two of the clot shots, right? We're not really sure. The numbers are subjective. But if you look at that, the uh, some of the estimates from the, the frontier doctors are saying that they have two years to five years to live. What happens if we lose 50% of our population? And certainly, certainly there will be handicapped, right? And then you get to my favorite quote from Santos, the supreme art of war is subdue the enemy without fighting. We're being subdued, and we have a bunch of woke morons not paying attention, right? They've got 50% of the population that's been volunteered vaccination with a gene-altering toxic injection. Okay, that's called subdued, in my view. 
13% of the Americans are on the SNAP EBT cards. That can be turned off in a second, right? 30% of Americans are on pharmaceuticals, of which if we go to war with China or a supply chain stops, these guys go cold turkey. Cold turkey. Oh, great. We have a bunch of stressed, stressed people going cold turkey, right? Antibiotics, something like 80% of all uh, the pharmaceutical components come from China. If we go to war with China, then that stops. So what do we do for antibiotics, right? The average unit of food in America travels 1,500 miles. So, and 98% of the Americans don't produce food. What happens if our, uh, anything just uh, collapses our supply chain, right? And then, of course, 87% of Americans are on on uh, on municipal water, which can get turned off immediately. And then you get Lake Powell and Lake Mead um, look, uh, supply 12% of our population with water. And it looks like that this will, they will dry up within a year, right? And let's see. And it's estimated by, by one of the military colleges that if we lose the electric grid for over a year, 90% of Americans will die. Right? So, so, and in the, in the, it only takes 27 people and nine rifles to take out the nine key transformers, right? And there was an example that was done at the Medcalf substation out in California, right? And, and, you know, 27 people and nine rifles, that's a disgruntled Boy Scout troop. I mean, you know, that, that's how simple it is. And if you don't think we have 27, you know, Russian Spetsnaz on, the, on U.S. soil or Chinese military, you have no clue. Mm-hmm. Right, we've got thousands. Right, so and and by the way, I'm not you know telling military secrets. It's in a book by Ted Koppel called Lights Out. Right, so so and 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 let's just add that according to um, Bill Halter, who's one of the best guys on silver and gold in the country. Right, we have two quadrillion dollars of derivatives, which is an unmonitored, unregistered. Uh, system uh, sitting out there and that if you divide it by 8 billion people that's $250,000 of derivatives for every man woman and child on earth okay and then but if you look at the just the American situation we have $160 trillion of government liabilities right including the debt and you divide that by 320 million Americans that's $500,000 of government liabilities for every American. Of course, that doesn't include the illegal uh, immigrants, but, you know, what can we say? So in my summation, 70% of Americans dead by 2025 looks like a conservative number to me. Why, why would you want to be one of the survivors and all of that? Because we're human. <laughs> no, every living species plant or animal or human has this will to live that's what keeps life going the will to live and these people go well i wouldn't want to live in a situation like that that's like somebody on the titanic going well if the ship sinks i don't think i'll try to save myself i don't want to be the last one (laughs) all right well wait till you have the lifeboat right and that's why i keep on saying you know a sustainable farm is a lifeboat and and that when the ship sinks, everybody's going to think that they deserve to be in your boat. And your boat only holds 40 people or 100 people. And that's when you have to hit them over the head with the, the oar. Unfortunately, it's, it's one of those things. And so if we actually look at it from a 
from a, a first responder point of view, we are already in triage. Yeah. That's when we are already in triage where we have to decide who doesn't live and who does live. And, and that's why I became a farmer because the most important element in this whole thing is the farmer. There's just so many legs to this. The other thing I just thought of, you said we're in triage and we need first responders. What has been another area that the federal government has attacked is first responders. You know, in my, in my part of the world, we are completely dependent upon EMTs who are volunteers, firefighters who are volunteers. And the federal government in the past 10 years has worked so hard at making the threshold too high for people to be a part of it. So they struggle in finding somebody to be an EMT in your community. And on Friday, on this very program, I had Josh Baker on, who's a professional firefighter in Florida. And he talked about the challenges in keeping a well-staffed first responder unit because the federal government creates a threshold that people just simply can't be a part of. And we look at it as, as the federal government. No, there are rogue elements in our government that have taken over. If you don't believe that, please explain what happened with elections. <laughs> it's like, yeah. just, just do a study on 9-11, right? That, that we, our government has been taken over by rogue elements. Well, that's what we work at every day, is reminding dutiful citizens that the Constitution saw this day coming because they were living it. And the answer is engagement. But we can't get people to engage to protect their their family with a food supply, let alone their liberty. And now we have it where we're looking. You know, I think that many, many people who are wealthy, who have worked hard and, and learned how to, um, how to uh, earn and keep money, right? <clears throat> Multimillionaires, billionaires, a lot of them are good people. They're not investing in their own security, right? It's, you know, it, 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 and guess what happens if we go to a civil war? We already, most of the, most of the patriots already know that Bill Gates and a few, uh, and, and Klaus Schwab and a, and a few other the multi-billionaires, right, are, are attacking humanity, right? And by the way, this isn't, this isn't, you know, some people call this a depopulation agenda, right? That, uh, if you're, you're knocking out people with the clot shot. No, it's an extermination agenda. They're getting rid of the gene, uh, the human genome. Yeah. Now what? And so, so what does it? You know, what's it like to be a New York billionaire? And all of a sudden, the food gets turned off. And you go, well, that's I'm, I'm wealthy. I can go buy it. Not if it's not there. That's what he keep on trying to tell you. You know, I was in Latvia when there's no gasoline. It didn't matter how much money or gold or silver I had. There was no gasoline. Doesn't matter how many nine hundred thousand cars you register if you don't have a road to drive it on and gas to put in the tank. That 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 that's correct. And and so so now we're at this situation where it is provable that our entire system is starting to collapse. You know, they they um, our electric grid is starting to collapse. Our water systems, our delivery systems, our banking systems, our financials. They're all starting to collapse. And the one thing we need is food. We can get by. If, with food, we can solve all problems. Without it, we can solve none. And so you get these billionaires who are not investing in food. They're the only people left. 
The middle class doesn't have any money. That'll do it. A to Z. No GPS technology. The journey. No, that's the wrong deal. We've connected the farm to the fork one more time. J.C. Cole, Trent Luce, both of us reminding you that all roads do lead to a roll route.